Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. we saw, and as you can verify when you look up into the sky tonight, there's objects out there and there's space. That's basically what the world consists of. And the two dimensions are within you. And humans have become lost in one. So we are here to realize that dimension. Cannot be realized in the future. It cannot be made into an object of a search because it's here now. moment you're looking for it, you create a future. Now what is future? It's a thought form. Apart from that, there is no future except as a thought form. cannot come except as now. So it's now 
the arising of space consciousness or the realization of space consciousness is here now. For example, it happens when you acknowledge not only the words that you hear. Acknowledge simply means pay attention. Notice. Just as noticing here, there are two dimensions just the same as when you look up into the sky at night, you will find there are two dimensions. There are the words here and there's a silent space or stillness in which the words happen. Welcome to America Meditating Radio. That was Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now, on Monique Rhodes' Heartbeat album, one of my favorites, as you all know by now. I'm your host, Sister Jenna. We're broadcasting from the beautiful Meditation Museum in the nation's capital. If you happen to be in town, please put it on your to-do list to actually step into a space with sacred vibrations, sacred sounds, sacred images, and come out more of a sacred you. So a lot's happening on the planet, but we still have to stay strong and vigilant. And I guess it's just supposed to. We ever sat in a theater and watched a movie, and as much as you might be looking at the screen and wishing the girl or the guy wouldn't go in that room, don't go, don't open that door, don't open that door, they do anyway. What if this whole thing was just scripted? What if all of us are mere actors in this unlimited drama, and each of us have our own individual parts to play, which means no one is doing anything wrong? They're just playing out their part, their preordained part, prescripted, prescripted, so there's no one to blame. But there comes a point in time in your journey that if you focus your attention on the director, he'll somehow bring you out, he will highlight you, he'll optimize your presence, why you're here, and how you can show up. Food for thought. That's what I love about when you join in on America Meditating Radio. You get to think a little bit more. You get to become a little bit more wise-ish. Oh, and speaking of wisest, have you all taken some time to go to our Facebook and Twitter page and visited our wisest question and life questions for the day? Please do. They're called Ask Yourself Today, their wisest questions for life to kind of percolate your mind throughout the day so that you can come from a more well-intentional place of existence. And I've known that when I have stopped asking myself the real questions, I started to feel a little flat, like, you know, there's nothing being fed for me at a mental, spiritual, emotional, intellectual level. The world doesn't have anything in terms of information anymore to offer me, so to speak, but my inner world has a tremendous amount of information to offer me, and I haven't spent a lot of time there. You know, we just don't. I live in a world where I have to come from a place inwards all the time, and yet I still need more time inside myself to understand how beautiful and vast the world is behind my eyes. 
inside of that little tiny dot of light, the soul. <laughs> but talking about the soul, my guest today is Dr. Chris Neubauer. He has earned his Ph.D. in cognitive neuropsychology at the University of Toledo, specializing in the differences between the left and right sides of the human brain. He's currently a professor at Slippery Rock University in Pennsylvania, where he teaches courses on consciousness, mindfulness, left and right brain differences, and artificial intelligence. His new book is entitled No Self, No Problem, How Neuropsychology is Catching Up to Buddhism. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Chris Neubauer to the air. Hi, Chris. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Sister Jana. Thanks for the invite. Mm. So tell us, what was it that got you to, you know, to get into this whole area of neuropsychology? You know, let's start by getting to know a little bit more about you and your work. And how did you become interested in this particular field? Uh, suffering. <laughs> During my 20s, <laughs> I experienced extreme neurosis and almost a continuous fear of death, I was going to die. And I started on a quest, how am I going to figure this one out? Mm-hmm. And started in neuroscience because it seemed like, especially in the 90s, everyone thought the brain was the place to go to for a solution. And it helped a little, but it fell short. Mm-hmm. And then I started turning to the East, and I started listening to Alan Watts, and he was a really good I love him. to Buddhism. Taoism, mm-hmm. and it almost sounded like he had something much better to offer than neuroscience did. And in the end, I found I could actually combine the two, so it wasn't an either-or situation. But So it started in neuroscience, and, and it, there just wasn't a solution to suffering. And then when you get to Buddhism, right. it was very fascinating when I started reading about the Four Noble Truths and then the Eightfold Path, and it was like, oh, there's a way out. Hmm. Do you think we'll ever have an existence where there just isn't suffering? Or is just suffering just going to always be a part of the narrative? Because we keep aiming for getting out of it. (laughs) Yeah. I like the way you put that. Is suffering always going to be part of the narrative? Because all my work, at least in terms of neuropsych, focuses around the left and right sides of the brain. And I've become very convinced that it's this left brain mode of consciousness that ties us into suffering. And I think if we stay in that, then we will continue to suffer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit deeper. What are the key differences between the left and right sides of the human brain? Well, when you look at the human brain, one of the most um, real remarkable things about it is just the anatomy. It's, it's clearly we have two brains. And you look, and there's a clear left side and a clear right side, and they're really different. Uh, They're different functionally, but they're also anatomically different. They even have their own blood supply. And so when we start talking about the left and right sides of the brain, the thing that struck me back in the 90s was in Buddhism and some of the wisdom traditions, they keep talking about the thinking mind. And I wasn't sure what they were talking about because, to me, the thinking mind was all I knew. And then when I started looking at how the left brain functions, how it, it, it almost always thinks in language, and then the split brain studies where they had patients who literally severed the only connection between the left and right sides of the brain is the corpus callosum, and, and these patients, they severed that. So they literally were 
split brain, and they were able to talk to the left brain in isolation. And they found that the left brain just makes things up. And so there were all these hints about how the left brain is connected to the thinking mind. It predominantly thinks in language. It's always trying to find a good guess about what's going on around us, and often it's wrong, but it doesn't care. It's always mm-hmm. convinced it's right. And because it's an inference machine, it's always trying to make a good guess about what's going on, it creates this idea that because I have so many thoughts, because I talk to myself all the time, there must be someone listening. There must be a self behind the thoughts. There must be a thinker behind the thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at the right brain, it really is a complete yin to the yang of the left brain. So the right brain makes connections. Instead of seeing separation, creating a separate me, it sees connections. And this was, I think, very well put in the case of Jill Bolt Taylor. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with her. She's a neuroanatomist, and she had a left brain stroke, so her left brain yes, went Yes, yes, yes. I had her on the air. I had oh. Dr. Bolt on the air, yes, yes, yes. Fantastic. And she was such a great example of right brain processing because with the left brain turned down, suddenly she felt compassion, and she felt like everything was exactly as it should be. I think my favorite part of her experience is when she said, there was no place where I ended and the rest of the universe began. So she Mm. felt connected with everything. Yeah, that was really a powerful time. Can you imagine that, that a part of your brain can be... I remembered a story I came across many, many years ago where a boy lived with half of his brain, physically, half of the brain, but he functioned like any other person. How come that's possible? It's a great question, and one answer Mm -hmm. is simply neuroscience has just not given us the answers we had hoped for. Uh, Mm -hmm. We haven't really figured out the brain. And there are mysteries like this where people have brain surgery and they lose massive parts of their brain, and yet they're okay. And so we, I mean, neuroscience is on this quest. They want to try to take the mystery of consciousness, take the mystery of who we really are, and somehow put that in this three pounds in our skull, and it's just not working. I mean, we've come up with some answers, but it's pretty clear that neuroscience isn't going to really figure out the mystery, and it's not going to figure out, like, to go back to the suffering question. There's always going to be a, a little bit left that needs to be answered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And really, the soul is sitting in the brain. Isn't there a big distinction between that subtle energy of the living being versus the physical housing of that energy, the brain. So you have the physical brain, and then you have this subtle energy, the spirit that resides in the brain, I was told, by the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland, where it's a very, very delicate place. So whatever I feel and think and go through, it also sends those signals to all the neurons in the brain and sends it throughout the whole body. So when we talk about the soul and brain, I would love to hear your definition or your understanding about the two. Are they different or are they the same? Well, when I give my lecture on no self and I tell the students about the left brain and how it makes up stories, and one of the stories it makes up is the story of who we think we are. And sometimes the students will just write down, you know, I'm just the thought the left brain is having, and they trivialize it. I'm like, well... That's a pretty profound kind of thing to take in. And some of the students get it, and they actually get a little bit depressed at the idea that 
the self that they've built so much around is just an idea of who they think they are. And one study in particular was able to show that when we make a decision, which is an important part of the self, it's kind of a burden, you know, to make decisions. And, but we like to think we're in control and we're the one who decides what house to buy and what car to buy. And they, in this research, they were able to show that the brain decides at least six to seven seconds before we get that sensation of making a decision. Mm-hmm. So that self-deciding is really an afterthought. But I tell them, even if we deconstruct the ego, even if we show that the ego and who we think we are and a social constructed self, even if we show that it has no substance, that doesn't mean you don't have a soul. Mm-hmm. And there's an interesting comeback with the soul in the neurosciences. So Ian McGilchrist is one of these researchers who's focused on the left and right sides of the brain. He has a wonderful lecture trying to bring the soul back to psychology. But when we talk about the soul, I think we're in a difficult place because the left brain wants, right now I'm using my left brain to communicate to you in words, but the mm-hmm. soul is always, always a mystery. It's always going to be difficult to put into words exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we talk about the soul, we're, we're really at a difficult place at the very beginning. But that doesn't mean the soul doesn't exist. It's just difficult mm-hmm. to put into words. So when you speak to people, do you sometimes find yourself saying, okay, come on, Chris, come a little bit more from your left brain, don't be so right brain? (laughs) I do teach the students a lot of tricks. There are ways to to get out of the left brain, and and there are ways to activate the right brain, and and, and meditation. I think meditation is one of the best ways to, I won't say stop thinking, but it's one of the best ways to lose the sense of thinking as being the center of your consciousness. And the thinking mm-hmm. gets turned down a little bit. And I think most yeah. of us, deep in a thinking problem, and we think we can think our way out of the thinking problem, and you can't. Yes. And so meditation yeah. offers us a nonverbal way to transcend a thinking mind. Right. Now, in your new book, No Self, No Problem, you've demonstrated how findings in neuropsychology suggest that, you know, our sense of self is actually an illusion. It's created by the left side of the brain. I would say definitely that's where you focus on yourself so much on a human capacity. And it also states that it exists in the same way a mirage in the middle of a desert exists, as a thought rather than a thing. Could you explain this for us, please? Sure. And the thing that hit me, and one of the motives for writing the book was when I went back to some of the lectures of the Buddha, it was just so similar what neuroscience was saying, that neuroscience was saying that there's just no place, they can't find the self in the brain. And the Buddha lectured that when you, the, the nature of reality is this continuous change, so there can't be some kind of stable self behind all these thoughts that are just continuously changing. And mm-hmm. so, uh, but again, the feeling of the self is very profound. And there's no doubt that people have a very strong sense. And the sense of self is, is what gets us into trouble. And we know mm-hmm. that rumination, self-rumination, which is self-centered, you're, you're thinking about things that happen to you. And we know that's one of the main causes of anxiety and depression. And so this thought, even though it may exist as a mirage, it doesn't mean that it doesn't have effects in the world. It doesn't mean that it can't cause suffering. In fact, I would point that directly to the source of suffering. And so it may be just a thought, but it's a right. thought that gets in the way. And when it's recognized as simply a thought, then we sort of get over ourselves a little bit. 
and free up resources that weren't so tied down with this concept of I. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of times we call the I the ego when it's unhealthy, but we also know that there are certain healthy egos, which we call self-respect. And the vibration that comes from an I that is driven by the ego, so the ego, would that be left-brained? I would put it in the left brain. I would put the all the negative brain. things into the associated with the eye in the left brain, and the positive things, compassion and being grateful, and those might have an element of self too. But I would put those in the right brain, and I would actually connect those more with the soul rather than mm. just the ego. Yes, beautiful, beautiful. I'm getting clearer. Why does the self create problems, and how is it that we lose those problems when we see into the nature of the self? Well. Because the left brain is creating inferences, it's trying to make good guesses about reality. And one of these guesses is the self. It assumes, you know, I'm looking out behind these eyes, there must be a me in there. But then so many of our problems, as I mentioned earlier, things like rumination, when, as soon as we bring a self into the world, we start ruminating about it and we start worrying about its future. And most importantly, and this was the source of my own neuroses, was worrying about death. If there's a self, then you worry it's going to die. And that kind of anxiety over death has been one of the biggest problems in humanity. As soon as we connect with that sense of ego, we start worrying what happens when it's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's something very profound about that, that the brain, here it is inside of the skin, you know, the body, the skull, let's say. And there is a living spark of energy, the soul, that's inside of that. And we still don't know who we are. We're trying to figure it out, yeah. but we still don't know who we and, are, right, Chris? And, and that might be okay. In my work with the left brain, the left brain is the one that always wants a decisive answer. It wants a clear... Yes, yes. Something that could be put in words with clarity. And when you start exploring the right brain, some theorists have suggested that the right brain, because it makes so many connections, it has all options open so instead of making a decision, it just keeps all the options open, which may not be a good thing in the practical world, but it keeps a mystery alive. And, and that is a mystery to think about all things being possible. And to, to me, that's where I put the self, the real self, not the ego, but who we really are, the soul. To me, the soul is a mystery. So whenever I look at the end of the book, I have people contemplate who they really are, and you take away all the right. social constructed selves, and what are you left with? You're left with I am a mystery. Right, right. Or I am light, or I am peace, or I am power, and we try to live by that understanding of ourselves. Do you have any explanation about the concept of consciousness? What is it in your view? Well, when we look at consciousness research, we've got a bunch of scientists now investigating consciousness, and the irony is that they're doing this through the thinking mind. And so they have this very limited machine, like a program in the left brain, and it's trying to figure out consciousness. And it's just simply not coming up with it. We can't contain consciousness within something the thinking mind can understand. Mm -hmm. And so they're looking at that as a failure. And they're saying, well, we'll never figure out consciousness. Well, we'll never be able to figure out consciousness in a way that we can think about it and put it in language. But that doesn't mean we can't understand it in terms of feelings, emotions, other non-linguistic processes. And so right. I think we'll figure out consciousness, but it's not necessarily going to be a clean scientific theory. 
Right, right. And so when you ask me what consciousness is, I have a hard time telling you. (laughs) (laughs) That's your right brain. (laughs) Yeah, and the right brain's content with, you know, it's a mystery, and it, it exists, and it's real, and it's fundamental to our being. And your consciousness is no different than my consciousness. That's our connection. Your, right. your ego might be different than my ego, but your consciousness is the same consciousness I experience, and that's how we're connected. Right. So even though we might struggle with defining what consciousness is, when we meditate, how is consciousness related to the brain, if at all? Is there a change in consciousness when we meditate? Well... There's quite a bit of research on this, and one of the, my favorite findings is that these long-term meditators, people who have been meditating for 20-plus years, is that uh-huh. they show a particular frequency in their brain called gamma, which is a very high-beat frequency with these neurons, the cells of the brain, and they're just firing at a very fast pace. And the interesting thing is that there's another theory by Francis Crick, kind of the famous Crick and Watson, who discovered the structure of DNA, he ended up going off and studying consciousness for the end part of his life. And his theory was that consciousness itself is all about a frequency. And when the brain hits a certain type of frequency, then you have consciousness. And so the interesting thing is that these meditators seem to be having consciousness to a greater degree than the rest of us ordinary people. Mm-hmm. If that theory turns out to be right. So they can find elements of the brain that seem to demonstrate things that correlate with conscious experiences. I don't think mm-hmm. that means consciousness okay. is necessarily in the brain, but mm-hmm. the two are connected. Yes, yes, yes. I would say consciousness more belongs to at a soul level. But, of course, if we want to try to physically connect it somewhere, we could definitely look at the way the body or the nerves or the cells are also functioning or flowing in the system. I have a very personal question to ask. Are our problems, such as depression, I I know someone very close to me that suffered with depression for decades, uh, or even anxiety and violence, are our problems such as depression, anxiety, and violence, for example, caused by a brain imbalance that relates too much on the left brain, or is it really just a soul ache, or Hmm. both? When you said that, I actually thought they were the same thing. Mm. That when we rely too much on the left brain, that is what we would experience as an ache in the soul. Mm-hmm. And the way Ian McGilchrist puts it, he says we're in this left brain culture right now, and it's a bureaucrat's dream, but it's a poet's nightmare. And that's a nice way to put our culture. And he, mm-hmm. his idea is that we just need to find balance, and that's basically my idea too. We can find a little bit of um, get the right brain going again, just a little. It doesn't. It's not going to take a lot. We could find balance, that middle path of the Buddha, we could find it. And it yeah. would take just a little bit, get back into poetry, get back into music, right. get back into meditation, these non-language-based things that activate the right brain. Yeah, I still struggle a little bit with that. So is there really a medicine that can help the brain to get back into the balance? But if the soul is aching, does it still help? good question. We've got all kinds of drug-based therapies, and of course they're altering the brain, but it just doesn't seem like those are taking us very far, because you could be on so many different antidepressants and they just keep adding more. And I think it goes back to this idea that most of what we suffer from is that left brain overthinking, 
And mm-hmm. if we could mm-hmm. get out of the thinking mind a little bit, and I, I encourage my students sometimes, it doesn't take a lot. And sometimes it could take one conscious breath, one non-thinking conscious breath to activate the right brain to mellow out the left brain a little. And I think that might help us bring a little bit of balance. Mm, okay, I get that. I get that. I think it's really important. Uh, thank you. Thank you for answering that. What are the consequences of walking a middle path that increases the right brain input and at the same time sees into the illusion of the ego? I think the consequences is that we'll find ourselves much more connected to strangers. One of the things the left brain does is it categorizes and it divides and it puts people in boxes that you know wants to order the world and the right brain doesn't do that instead of dividing the right brain sees connections and i think if we walk that middle path instead of having in groups and out groups i think we'll actually start seeing how we're actually all connected mm-hmm. and then when we do that we treat other people better because they're us right right yeah i am them yeah Yeah, that's definitely. I had an interview with a young actress called Alison Stoner, and before she went to perform at the VMA Awards last month, she said right before she was walking into the studio, she looked at everyone that was there outside and just say, I'm them. They're me, I'm them. And it was one of the things that she said added to her brilliant performance for Missy Elliott's song that they did together about 17 years ago. Artificial intelligence is being talked about more frequently nowadays. What exactly is it, and what are some of its advantages and disadvantages? Well, when we think about artificial intelligence, what people are trying to do, ironically, is to recreate the thinking mind in a computer. And they've been pretty successful at this. In fact, I'm fairly confident that once they get this to a certain point where this machine excels at pattern perception, which is talent of the left brain. It just looks out and it can't help but to label things. When the computer gets as skilled as the left brain, I think the computers are going to start experiencing a sense of self. And that doesn't mean the self is there. They're going to suffer from the same illusion we do. And I don't know how long it will be before that happens, but no one really knows what's going to happen with artificial intelligence. The speculation, and it seems to be almost a consensus, that it's either going to be amazing or it's going to be horrible. <laughs> no one seems to think it it may just slide into some gray area. So I really don't know. I'm not sure what is going to happen. I, it's going to be interesting to recreate an, not just an artificial mind, potentially an artificial ego. Mm, and the machine might suffer one. some of the same suffering that we do. Right, right. So as we come to a close in our wonderful conversation, what is the main message that you'd like to leave with our listeners today? I think that we are in the middle of a serious thinking problem. Our culture overthinks, and that is mostly due to relying too much on the left brain processing style. And you're just not going to think your way out of a thinking problem. So I would encourage people to find non-linguistic hobbies, moments in their life that rely on the right brain. So anything that's not verbal, anything that's hard to put into words, mm-hmm. and things like being grateful and being compassionate, just activate the right brain. And if you can just, you don't have to do it a lot. What I found is just even a few moments a day can actually change the frequency of consciousness. And I think it lightens up suffering, and that's what I experienced at least. 
Beautiful. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you on air. And I felt like you were balancing out your left and your right, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still working on it. It's, it's a process, but I'm finding a middle path slowly in life. All right. And tell us, are you going to do any book signings for No Self, No Problem, How Neuropsychology is Catching Up to Buddhism? Eventually, I hope to. It just came out, uh, I think, last week, officially. So Congrats. I'm sure sometime. That... Thank you. So do you know when you're going to be doing any book signings? Yeah, I, I don't actually know. I don't have a schedule. Uh, I wish I did. Mm-hmm. I'd enjoy sharing it with everyone. But I have a, a Facebook page, Catching Up to the Buddha, and I'll make announcements on there if it eventually turns out. Beautiful. And what's the best website that folks can get in touch with you? I think I usually use my Facebook, uh, Catching Up with the Buddha page. That's the one I post on the most. And I do have a website, and I just started that up a little bit ago. So that will probably be in the works. Uh, and the address for the website? Yeah, just chrisneubauerphd.com. Okay, fantastic. Chris Neubauer, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And thanks for educating me a lot more and learning you know, more about the brain. I appreciate it a lot. Oh, thank you so much, Sister Jen. It was such a privilege. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. All the very best. That was Dr. Chris Neubauer, who's got a new book out, No Self, No Problem, How Neuropsychology is Catching Up to Buddhism. And yes, we do think too much. We do think way too much. And we need to balance that, of course. Balance is the ultimate, you know, success, but to bring your heart into it. And I have to say, I've been feeling that too. I'm not a major thinker. I don't think a lot. I create a lot, like a lot of creative things come through me. And I appreciate that very much. But even then, I have been finding that I might need to develop my left brain just a little bit more of recent. This is what I feel. (laughs) My producer might be laughing. But, uh, you know, sometimes you can have too much emotions and that's not good. And you're going to need a little bit more logic to balance it out. So to find that perfect spot within you to help you to feel free and and easy. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we really are here to love each other the same. And I think the world is asking that from us more and more every single moment of the day. And again, if you happen to be in Sacramento, California between September 19th to the 22nd, please join me and a host of others at the Visionaries Summit at the Doubletree Hotel. You can go to the VisionariesSummit.com for more information on the whole bunch of innovators coming together to look on how best we can initiate real change by changing also ourselves, but you know, stepping up higher in the way we think in order to create some innovative ideas towards our national and global problems that we are living through right now. Here is E Pluribus Unum on my inclusion revolution together with love. I haven't heard that in a long time. Take care, everyone. And if you haven't gotten the album, go to Amazon or iTunes. You can get a copy from there. Tell me what you think about it. Take care. E Pluribus Unum not meant to suggest the power should be consolidated into a single individual, but rather the power is innately possessed by every individual, which makes up a single collective. 
in this meditation, I gently allow my thoughts to become aware that each and every thought is a part of a collective community inside myself. When I choose to nurture thoughts of peace and abundance, they generate safety around me and for others to experience. I'm a part of a collective and what I think, feel, and do creates a community inside myself and outside of myself. I, the living soul, am a citizen and through my life I amplify unity, values, love, and togetherness. I use these pure thoughts to govern my life and to share pure feelings with everyone around me. I am not here to be ruled by any waste thoughts or by anyone. Rather, I'm here to rule my life with virtues and respect. I am one out of many and together I, you, us make up a world of kindness and abundance. Let me sit in this pure meaning of E Pluribus Unum. I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or in iTunes 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 